0: I think uh, your your experience of of beginning to see through the looking glass of of the real Tesla, it sounds like is actually a lot earlier in time than than most people who are part of Tesla Q Twitter. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of the this podcast hello and welcome to episode number 63 of the tesla q podcast as always if you'd like to be a contributor you can go to patreon.com slash tesla q podcast and make monthly contributions and if you'd like some shorty merchandise you can go to evacuationboy.com and find some nice coffee mugs today's episode is going to be an interview with matthew klippenstein who wrote a somewhat seminal article about tesla uh, about their entering whistleblower hell. Uh, As Elon Musk has said many times, Tesla went through production hell and then delivery hell. So Matthew, with his article, just adopted Elon's own verbiage and called it whistleblower hell. So that's part of why we're going to talk with him today. But he also has a lot of other experience, particularly with uh, fuel cells. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Howdy.
1: uh, Thanks for having me, TQ. And uh,
0: would you prefer Matt or Matthew?
1: Either is fine. Um, Just to clarify, I'm not Ken. Someone's asked me that already. Uh, That's uh, my more famous cousin.
0: (laughs) All right. So we'll call you either Matt or Matthew and not Ken. So uh, what, just uh, starting from the top, what's some of your background as a professional?
1: Sure, yeah. So I'm a chemical engineer by profession. I've worked broadly in the clean tech field for the past 20 years. Done about 15, uh, 13 years, maybe 15 years in fuel cells in various points. Uh, a couple years in wind and solar uh, consulting. I did also about a year and a half helping with uh, electric vehicle infrastructure outreach for a nonprofit. And now do some consulting both on both sides of the battery and fuel cells, zero emission transportation side. So that's that's where um, that's where my technical background comes. Being an engineer, I I initially saw some of the st- or heard some of the stuff that uh, Tesla was doing. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then giving it more thought or learning more about it, uh, it's like that's the opposite of engineering. <laughs> it's uh, uh I guess um, maybe one seminal article that I read that initially impressed me was something about how uh, SpaceX would. Um, do launches where, you know, with, ver- with certain parts, they would have, uh, you know, sp- space uh, accredited or space certified components. We'll just say doorknobs for now, just for simplicity. And they were like, well, you we can get a lot, lot cheaper doorknobs at-, at Home Depot. So we'll put both of them into a-, a-, a test rocket. If they both work, then we'll just default to the cheaper one. And initially it was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. But on second thought, that's the opposite of engineering. Because that is literally trial and error. That, that, is, that on its own explains uh, SpaceX being able to, uh, what, explode and fail more rockets than the entirety of all their, com- all their competition combined. And um, if, if you were to properly do a cost reduction analysis, you would have to determine what are the forces on this doorknob. You know what are the the uh, the strains the the edge cases if you will of the uh, the tails testing as we might call it and then you'd actually be able to determine you'd model first of all can a regular doorknob uh handle it whereas uh again uh rereading this spacex article a little bit afterwards i was like that is the opposite of engineering uh so yeah some some engineering background highly idealistic i'd i'd <laughs> probably be the most uh, democratic socialist far-left uh, person you would uh, expect to interview or expect to find in a Tesla Q or Tesla Q adjacent uh, uh, kind of scenario um, I'd say Tesla Q adjacent because although I've monitored the company since about 2012 or so I was the first person to write about electric cars in Canada uh, just as a as a hobby blog um, uh, I've never been short the stock I actually did own one share for a period of about a few weeks in 2018 uh because this was the time when the uh the, the there was a a shareholder vote to do to do more supervision over elon musk and it preceded his calling uh, uh Vern unsworth a pedophile by by a few months like it was and i was like well you know i can't honestly stand back and just do utterly nothing so i'll i'll um i'll satisfy my uh my Moral sense by just symbolically getting a share, so I could vote and and not say I, I was a, a complete uh, passenger or onlooker to this this uh, train wreck. Hmm. Uh, but so so yeah, like uh, apart from that though, uh, having spoken with legit journalists, I learned that yeah, you it's kind of like the worst thing in the world to uh, invest in companies you write about because that puts you into the a a completely different category. Uh, so, apart from that one uh, effort to, uh, to tell myself I didn't do absolutely nothing, um, then uh, I've, uh, I've not uh, been involved in the stock. Uh, I was actually, and this, this goes back well before like electric.co and stuff, um, I picked up uh, Tesla vehicle registration data for Canada through the National Advocacy Group. And uh, this would have been, I think, in mid 2013 or so. And so, as a f- and I put together a little article. I contacted IHS, who are the providers of data, and um, they never got back to me. Uh, but uh, that was basically the first time anyone had ever put vehicle registration, uh, monthly vehicle registration data, onto a public forum. Um, because until then, everything for the states was still guesswork and not, you know, actual uh, actual. Uh, published uh, registration figures. So that's my little, uh, you know, 15 seconds of fame, as it were.
0: Ah, that's something that gets done very, very frequently now, especially with the the EU-EVs.com site, which collects data from Spain, the Netherlands, and Norway. Which I got many, many replies from Tesla bulls today uh, after I tweeted a Tesla charts chart about market share in those three countries. So right, right. Um. Just for full disclosure, I am currently short Tesla. Shocking, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll be completely honest about my my positions. I I'm short Tesla. I have a put spread position. It's a May expiration, four hundred eighty dollar, four hundred thirty dollar put spread. So I I own the four eighty and I sold the four thirty. So if if when that expires in May, if the price of the shares is below 430, I'll get $5,000 per contract that I sold of that, or that I bought of that, I should say. So I should be able to. S- my, my plan is to hold it until then uh, because I expect that the share price will continue going down, especially after yesterday when the bump from the quarter one deliveries faded. Uh, mm. So I am a, a, a short, short, a test, an official Tesla short. Right. And um, just want to get that out of the way here. Sure, uh, yeah, totally. So back to the interview. So you're an engineer, but you also are a writer now. You, 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 meant, you said real journalist earlier. So how did you start writing, and why would you say real journalist? Are you implying that you are not a real journalist?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely I'm implying that. Um, I just call myself a blogger. Um, I have no journalistic training of any sort. Uh, and uh, again, engineering background. And um, while I uh, do my best to um, uh, write in an effective way about things that matter to me, uh, then um, I, would not, um, I would not dare to put myself on the same kind of a platform or podium as people like, um, like uh, well, Ed Niedermeyer, Laura Kolodny, uh, Dana Hull, um, Russ Mitchell, a bunch of other guys um, there is uh, I know uh, I, I think that uh, the profession of journalism as it's been explained to me is uh, is far more rigorous than uh, the stuff that uh, I would put out even though I do put a lot of work into it uh, but um, I guess I wouldn't I, I guess just like I don't like uh, Elon Musk calling himself you know an engineer or pretending to be an epidemiologist uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to uh, uh, oversell um, uh, my particular skill set. Uh, I guess I have enough confidence that uh, the value I can provide doesn't need to be inflated falsely, which is um, a, a chronic observation you see with um, with uh, Musk uh, uh, organizations, which is kind of sad, but is the, is, the, is the reality of it.
0: Mm-hmm. There's definitely a contrast there. So... Mm-hmm. You see, journalists as having a bit of a code of ethics, and engineers also have a code of ethics that, if they're a, a professional engineer, they're supposed to abide by. So, any thoughts about that?
1: Oh yes, yeah. So, um, well, actually, I guess this is a this is a convenient segue. So, uh, when I first heard about Tesla, I was like, wow, this is kind of cool, neat company. You know, they they managed to go public, and uh, they've got uh, looks like a decent car. Um, I think I hit my peak Tesla fandom in about March 2014, and there was there had been a couple um, fires in Tesla Model S's, uh, and uh, the company had put out this press release saying, um, detailing that it was going to put this like triple-layer titanium shield on the underbody to protect the battery. It was going to make this um, this thing available to all existing customers. Your safety comes first, and so on and so forth. And so I thought uh, at that stage it was definitely my my uh, I reached my plateau of peak positivity towards Tesla because like all the messaging was right there, right? It it seemed up uh, it seemed legit. Mm -hmm. You know, I I hadn't uh, I hadn't looked enough to see the various warts and other um, things emerging yet and the the first cracks in the in my fandom came in august 2014 There was an article on bloomberg. It was about uh, the the clash of cultures at tesla and toyota and um, the one there was a paragraph um, in that article which basically said that uh, when tesla was doing the uh, the system for toyota's electric rav4 all-electric vehicle, use the NCA, you know, uh, battery chemistry and so forth, Toyota said, um, you know, Tesla, you've got to put in a battery shield on the bottom in case of punctures, and Tesla said, no, we don't, you know, it's, it's perfectly safe, and then t- and Toyota came back to them and said, no, you know, you're going to do this because we want you to do it, and Tesla came back and said, no, you know, you're nuts, this is, this is overkill, uh, and finally, Toyota said, well, you know, we're going to relieve you of your responsibility for this component uh, we are going to design it for you and then you are going to, you know, assemble it onto the vehicle as we specify. <laughs> and so this aura of Tesla being this very um, caring for the customer company kind of popped there. Is this, this, this bubble popped because the first time Tesla was making its own vehicle, the RAV4 EV preceded the Model S, um, Tesla had clearly decided not to go with the battery shield, and uh, then they had a uh, they had a, a, a fire uh, due to the, a puncture of the battery from below uh, in October 2013, and um, and then there was another one I think in November, and then it must have taken them a few months to put together the solution. So basically, it wasn't that Tesla was the firefighter putting out the fire. Tesla was Tesla had been the arsonist who had caused the fire by not putting. A proper um, shielding in place when an existing OEM, you know, with all the existing skill sets you could possibly want to learn from, when you want to make your own car company, had pretty much, you know, uh, had very explicitly and forcefully said no. You know, just to keep the customer safe, we need this part. <laughs> and um, it's it's never uh, it's never one thing which shifts your opinion completely. Uh, or it's rarely rather, <clears throat> but that was kind of the first bit of snowballing, which led to this gradual avalanche, which caused me to, um, to view the company with the utmost skepticism and um, basically, yeah, being uh, be in very close alignment with many, uh, many uh, Tesla Q uh, uh, perceptions of the company, uh, which I hold to be true based on what I can uh, verify myself, and from the quality of work that uh, various Tesla key members uh, put into their analyses. So um, it is—it's almost like the the sort of the height of my enthusiasm for this company, which hit all the right notes for my green, left, progressive, social democrat kind of ideals. Um, the the annoyance is, and the the hostility maybe, or the the disappointment is much greater because it's um, it's like the only person you dislike more than your enemy is like a traitor, you know, someone who mm-hmm. abuses your trust. And so um, while I, uh, uh, you know, while I don't uh, short stock or anything, that's not sort of my, uh, my uh, wheelhouse. Um, it is, it is uh, just uh, appalling to me. Uh, as I, as more has been uncovered, just, uh, the, the scope of, uh, of the wrongdoings that, that I perceive there to be. So it's uh, it's funny. I'm probably also the only uh, Tesla Q uh, or Tesla Q adjacent, I'm not sure, uh, person who's ever written for Clean Technica, which is uh, rather hilarious um, and is probably its own little uh, adventure story.
0: Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I should note here that Toyota is the only other auto manufacturer that always had a higher market cap than Tesla throughout the the bubble of February of 2020 that that Tesla went through. And uh, back to the battery shield thing, am I remembering correctly that the addition of the titanium battery shield was part of why the battery swap became a lot more difficult? And then that gets into the the fact that Tesla accepted uh, money from the state of California for demonstrating that the battery swap worked, and then of course they they let it die off really quickly after that. Right. So what do you remember yeah, about that? So uh,
1: that, that is a that is a good segue. So um, the titanium battery shield. So I'm not uh, I'm not 100 sure of the details. I'm sure Ed uh, Ed has covered that, uh, but uh, without a doubt, the titanium battery shield would have made it more difficult to execute any kind of timely. A swap of the of uh, batteries uh, actually yeah ed's uh, ed's reporting in uh, about june maybe 2015 was another brick in the wall of uh, disillusionment with tesla because again i could see that okay well you know if a, y- usually you give people a second chance or a third chance if you really have faith in them right and mm-hmm. so um to learn that tesla had not followed the the orders really of uh, of an oem in making its own car making a battery shield that was one thing Uh, then to find out that um, they were gaming the system from carb california air resource board for an uh, an extraordinary lucrative amount of credits um was uh was also quite uh quite appalling because I mean, I'm literally the type of person who tends to support this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason to support this, you know, there, it's it, it would be uh, not unlike uh, if you identify a strategic industry, then okay, there there may be some um, uh, some value in providing financial support for that. I would imagine, for example, that you know manufacturing masks uh, from now on would become a strategic industry in, mm-hmm. uh, in many countries. So, however, uneconomic versus you know Chinese supply, you would keep. You know some uh, some level of subsidy to make sure you have some capacity domestically so i'm totally on board with the idea of uh, societies being able to choose to make subsidies you know however uh, however um expensive they may be but i'm s- simultaneously completely opposed to uh, participants so obviously gaining a system for their own individual benefit and uh, and not even in a yeah it's we kind of did game the system a bit so, you know, we'll try and we'll try and avoid that later but um, rather uh, Tesla at one point went on to say that CARB wasn't giving out enough credits it wasn't being stringent enough I was at a conference where uh, one of their uh, one of their representatives uh, excoriated uh, you know practically a crucified CARB for not being even more um, basically liberal with credits. Um, uh, and uh, and it was a uh, it was one of those um, it, it was again one of these moments where you, you realize wow the emperor has no clothes this this is detached from the reality that you have to be uh, yeah it's just it's detached from reality just nuts uh, so yeah so um, so that works into uh, uh, Ed Niedermeyer's reporting on carb which is uh, mid 2015 um, late 2015 actually there was a, a piece interestingly enough in Clean Technica. Uh, I think it was like uh, in early November by Zachary Sheehan. I think he's he's their uh, their main guy, the big boss there um, and he was writing about uh, solar city's like my power or my home uh, loan program and uh, to his credit he said you know i'm a am a solar city shareholder this and that I'm disappointed by this uh, it turns out that solar city was offering a loans with thirty year terms for their uh <laughs> for people who wanted to acquire solar systems solar panel systems and that if the solar panels didn't produce uh, sufficient electricity or something you know they could wind up still owing solar city money at the end of the 30 year period which is totally abusive like it's <laughs> it is excru- it is taking advantage of people who are not as uh, as as financially literate as you right mm-hmm. and there are reasons to have consumer protections ideally to protect uh, people from these situations because no one can possibly be an expert in everything and um, that was another one of these tick box where, where I mean even even uh, Zachary there um, uh, was uh, mentioned again to his credit in this case uh, that he wasn't comfortable with the idea he didn't uh, he didn't he it gave him kind of a slimy feeling but he thought well it's if it's for the greater good, then maybe kind of, but I got a bad <laughs> feeling about this, and and I think that really um, that crystallizes the uh, uh, maybe one difference because I was just appalled by it. I was very angry. I went to, to read this 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 exploitation of of um, of people without the uh, financial savvy, and uh, so I was totally happy to say, "Wow, Solar City, do not trust." And um, yeah, it was just something that uh, he was already too tied into the mythos, into the narrative, to uh, to do what I think he would do if it was the Koch brothers, say, uh, whose solar company was doing something of this sort, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so that was another uh, another one of these um, uh, indefinite points uh, where things uh, uh, escalated a bit. And I think at, at the end of 2015. Um, I did write a piece for Green Car Reports, uh, pulling out uh, owner responses to this Plug-in America, um, uh, Plug-in America survey, and it was I did a Weibull analysis, kind of a, a failure um, a prediction analysis standard uh, in engineering, and concluded that you know within uh, sixty thousand miles or so, two thirds of Tesla drivetrains would be replaced, and that was my first experience with uh, with the uh, the sort of the the, the Probably a somewhat astroturfed uh, sort of Tesla support uh, flooding in, uh, flooding in to defend, uh, you know, to defend the queen bee or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, but again, it was uh, it was another thing where it's like, well, you had all these years to, to learn how to make this stuff. You had you had Toyota, not just Toyota, but also Daimler that you could learn from to design things, to test them, to avoid repair costs. Um, and, uh, and yet you put this out, um, I guess by that point, I still thought, well, maybe you can pull it around if you, if you learn from this error and properly budget for things and lag to delay uh, projects to make sure you don't incur uh, repair expenses or goodwill. I think Lewis Carruthers has, uh, has uh, tracked um, how those, uh, those might be used to uh, um, cut the official warranty numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, it's just, I guess, I guess that just means that 2015 was a bit of a seminal year in that you had these big dominoes falling, which just stripped away any pretense of, you know, there being something, I don't know, uh, admirable say about, uh, about how the, how the business was being run, something innovative as opposed to just sort of loud and shouting its way to the, to the front of the audience.
0: I think uh, your your experience of, of beginning to see through the looking glass of of the real Tesla, it sounds like is actually a lot earlier in time than than most people who are part of Tesla Q Twitter. My personal uh, foray into Tesla Q, I think, more stems from the Solar City bailout, which of course spawned Tesla charts and maybe a little bit conspiratorially maybe not so conspiratorially i feel like the model 3 got rushed out a little bit in 2016 as part of the overall narrative of of getting the solar city bailout through i feel like they had to rush that that vehicle design and the model 3 and the delivery production hell and delivery hell and all that they've gone through with model 3 I feel like added the stress that caused the the pedo guy tweet and the Montana skeptic doxing. And that, that was more what pushed me into Tesla Q Twitter. So more from 2016 with the solar city bailout and, and things that happened after that. But of course, things that led up to that were already in place and and aspects of the culture were already in place. So, yeah,
1: I, I should also note that uh, when I was, so uh, for in my tenure with a, uh, the renewables wing of a major engineering consultancy, um, there were projects for which we were trying to reach SolarCity slash Tesla to get a hold of power walls and power packs. Because uh, uh, I know that there's a lot of skepticism about the economics of, uh, of, uh, of wind and solar, but mm, they, they are uh, quite cheap. And uh again, it was like you know, we're we're talking about one of the larger one of the larger, not largest, but one of the larger engineering consultancies, and you couldn't get a call back. It was just ridiculous. Um, I even staked out a coffee house once where I knew Tesla had a sort of secret satellite office in a nearby building and gave my card to one of these guys saying, Look, you know, we want to buy a bunch of these batteries for this project, and you know, you, you don't hear anything back. Um now that was a uh, that was just another indication that it just the 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 inside you know you can, it's like it's like lipstick on a pig I think is the stock uh, stock term um, I suppose the one one defining difference people often compare Elon Musk to Steve Jobs, but there's the famous anecdote about Steve Jobs adoptive father telling him something about like a carpenter a, a good carpenter you know does everything right even the stuff the the uh, the customer doesn't see it's like you know they they properly fashion or carpen, do carpentry on uh, components at the back of the uh, at the back of the dresser or something to that effect. And uh, again, the deeper I've looked, the more consistent it just becomes. Ever more consistent that apart from the surface gloss, everything else is an utter mess. And I do feel great uh, compassion for the people. Not not the not the higher rungs of people who have cashed out with gobs of uh, stock options, but the working level uh, people at the company who, for whom life must be just a just a basket case uh, gong show, uh, because there's clearly no no bother or no discipline about actually executing. Yeah, you
0: know? and I think a lot of those people that you're referring to have have had a pretty crazy last two weeks with the uh, oh I'm sure extension yeah. of, of uh, operation beyond when the the orders went into place in Alameda County and then uh, just uh, yesterday it was confirmed that that people were let go uh, from temp- temporary staffing agencies that were working mm-hmm. in Tesla's facilities so
1: right so yeah. like uh, I can understand that every automaker is going to be having massive uh, many companies even most companies perhaps, will be having layoffs, so I can kind of understand that. Uh, but just again, on the maybe again coming from the engineering angle, that the publics that the, you have to keep the public safety in mind. It's it's inconceivable. It's like unforgivable to keep your plant open in the middle of a shelter-in-place order. And again, not only not only in the sense of hey, you know, guys, we we you know we have. Like if you're a construction crew and the building doesn't have a roof on it, I can see okay. Well, let's uh, let's finish the roof because you don't want to have a building without a roof out there for months and months, especially in, in uh, rainy Vancouver where I'm from. Mm-hmm. But the attitude of well, we're gonna you know we're gonna draw on an, a, a hodgepodge of of um, f- uh, phrasing at different levels to say that we're uh, we are uh, what we're vital and essential, and then that uh, you know we're gonna. I believe there's one uh, little response which was to the effect of until we get, you know, local, state, federal, and, you know, some other agency approval that we are not uh, essential, we're going to keep on running, which is uh, just a callous and very, um, I'm trying to say the thing, it's not indiscriminate. I'm having a bit of a Biden moment here, you can tell, uh, <laughs> but just, just an absolutely atrocious uh, ethics or, or perspective, a len- uh, uh, just a, a vile way to look, look through life. Mm-hmm. um and uh yeah I, I again if it was if it was the coke if it was coke industries i can absolutely imagine you know the these various fans howling fan sites howling with outrage but it's like the um, the promise that oh this is being done for green purposes and sustainability and so forth that's such a powerful allure that it uh it it's a red herring that just blinds um, these other folks with whom I probably share more than most te- Tesla Q, you know, philosophically, with than I share with most Tesla Q uh, uh, members. It's just, it's such a remarkable bait and switch. Um, and uh, I guess I see it. Several of my uh, other friends uh, do see it as well. But uh, maybe there's this thing where, um, there's this sort of um it's like this uh you know how you can capture regulators regulatory capture then mm-hmm. I, it's kind of a media capture that tesla tesla has performed in that anything which is tesla has become newsworthy so it gets you clicks which brings you advertising revenue and maybe mentions and even you know more prestigious media mm-hmm. and so um i think one uh one possible reason or one of many reasons that i've been able to um become harshly critical of Tesla for objective reasons while others haven't is that they kind of depend on Tesla for a lot of their, their revenue. It's, it's, it's um it's like the remoras attached to a shark kind of. And uh, uh, there's that, uh, I think Upton Sinclair uh, saying that you can't uh, you can't change a person's mind if their, if their paycheck or their, their next meal depends on them believing the other thing. Mm-hmm. And so um I think the fact that I have this existing uh, engineering consulting career has allowed me to step back and say, wow, this is just such a, you know, there are more red flags here than the communist funeral. It is, <laughs> it is, um, it's allowed me that privilege. Whereas a lot of people who seven or eight years ago I'd have been like, yeah, great guys have just completely um, have completely Created a, a, a Tesla shaped blind spot, you know in their uh, in their uh, perspectives uh, to allow for their continued existence because Tesla brings the clicks. Mm-hmm. It's um, it, it's it's the uh, it's the, you know, big media is is fueled by fossil fuel advertising in reverse. It is it's a, it's a, a perfect inversion of that meme. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, I did actually, so, so I guess, yeah, we'd, we'd talked about this before. So there's, it's, it's, um, it's a little bit like in the in Christian tradition, Jesus gets tempted in the desert, and one of the temptations is, is the temptation of power, right? It's like, bow down to me, says the devil, it says Satan, and then you can rule everything. And I do feel in a sense that that's kind of the devil's bargain that some of these clean tech-related sites have done uh, that's changing now even you know electric inside evs has has been more uh has has some critical contributors let's call it um but the uh, the allure of you know more money and you know being proximity to power and influence even if you're just reporting on it just like you're a courtier at some you know feudal court in the uh, in the of european royalty uh, i think that is that's kind of um there's, there's, I guess there's a, there's a deep actual psychological truth in this little bit of the Christian tradition. And then just because I, I, I read religious literature as a hobby, of, variety of traditions, I guess the analogy for me would be uh, that there is one school in uh, rabbinical Judaism which says that the rabbi has to have his own nine-to-five job because otherwise the rabbi is going to be sucking up to whoever in the congregation at the synagogue has money. And so, uh, maybe it has been helpful for me in maintaining my uh, my sense of objectivity or my ability to be vigorously critical of Tesla, that I'm not dependent on articles about Tesla and access to Tesla to actually, you know, make my next paycheck, as it were, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's one particular Wall Street Journal author, author who is writing a book about Tesla, who I, I believe may have have uh, practiced a little bit of access journalism in that regard and i'm not talking about charlie grant uh charlie grant does does good work so on on that topic that you've just been talking about i, I believe you had an article that was published in may of 2018 titled what if the Koch brothers were running tesla into the ground so do you want to just talk about that a little bit that article so yeah
1: definitely so that is actually a, that's a fascinating one that was on daily kanban and so, um, so that came about. So at the time, I had been uh, uh, occasionally uh, co-hosting Clean Technica's podcast. Uh, there was kind of a, uh, I think we had the decent understanding that, oh, yeah, Matthew's not really a fan of Tesla, but he likes other clean tech stuff. And um, so it was, it was fine. And then um, in that preceding month, maybe, uh, I was uh, noting the uh, the problems that the uh, the Model X had. had. I thought, Oh, was it was the Model X? No, this was the Model Three at this point. Basically, um, in the third of the three segments for this podcast I re- recorded with this other fellow, um, I said, "Well, look, you know, it's I know everyone loves Tesla on clean technica, but you have to be able to call a spade a spade because if you if you keep pretending everything is is rosy, then you know, nothing's ever going to improve. You know, the Model X was late. It had these dumb door. I mean," It had these doors, which delayed its progress, which allowed GM to squeeze ahead of the Model Three uh, with the Chevy Bolt. Um, and um, basically, so that that uh, that podcast got shot down. And for each of the podcasts, I put a little bit, little bit of an essay together. And uh, the you know the the uh, the response was that you know it didn't quite fit the bill of what uh, you know Clean Technica's readership, listenership was really into. Which is you know it's fair enough uh, their their site so I repackaged it um, uh, I made it a little bit less uh, generously polite uh, in terms of uh, a little less soft and uh, feathery with the criticism and um, and then that became the you know what if the Koch brothers were uh, were uh, managing Tesla into the ground basically because if again if you pull through the number of failures and poor decisions that have been made over the years there, you can't, it's, it's the opposite of what someone who wants a company to be successful would actually do. It's, uh, it's very much short-term thinking and it's just the most undisciplined and uh, um, unsustainable uh, sort of a situation. Uh, again, you know, whereas Steve Jobs, um, Made sure that to, to do things right didn't do everything, but he did things right, or made sure his teams did things right. Uh, Tesla has historically relied on pulling an all-nighter, you know, making sure something has a nice little box or a little uh, the packaging is, is nice, and then it's a hot mess on the inside with like I you don't know, spaghetti code or the you know the hardware equivalent, which is just the the opposite of the right way to run a company and even to an extent, you know, respect your customer because the customer should have a, have a, a reason to have confidence that you're going to uh, provide something of comparable quality and durability um, made with the same, uh, same mm-hmm. standards as your competition. Right. So, yeah, so that was, uh, that was one of the, I think that was the first piece I put uh, on uh, on daily Kanban there. Uh, <laughs> at least under my name, ha, ha, ha. So, um, yes, so that was uh, that was a bit of a moment. And, again, the only reason I actually did that was because I was like, well, uh, everyone who would have reviewed this knows it's me anyway, so I might as well just, uh, you know, uh, put my own little stake in the
0: ground. So so, so you've written, uh, you said you used to write for Clean some. You've written for the Daily Kanban a little bit. Uh, also, the Whistleblower Hell article was on The Drive. So... Do you, want to, do you want to just uh, right. talk about some of the different publications that you've written articles for?
1: Sure. So I did most of my writing at uh, Green Car Reports from about 2013, 2012, 2013, I guess, uh, on to about 2019 or so. <clears throat> and basically what I had done is uh, I bought a plug-in hybrid myself, uh, ourselves, in, uh, in 2012. And you know, being uh, curious, uh, I was like, well, who else is buying these? And it turns out that there were a bunch of people who were uh, already compiling sales data for the States. Um, no one was doing it for Canada. And to my, to my great heartache, excuse me, someone, uh, which is uh, Jose Pontes, was already doing a worldwide count. So he's the ev-volumes guy or uh, ev-sales at blogspot.com. And um, so I was like, you know, damn it, if I had this idea four <laughs> years earlier or three years earlier... I could have, you know, co- compiled the database and, and, uh, and generated a platform off of that. But, you know, uh, he's a decent guy, so good for him. So uh, as, uh, as a, as a uh, publication with a very narrow focus, not everything that I uh, wanted to write about was, on, was feasible for Green Car Reports, so I did broaden out a bit. Uh, Clean Technica did uh, some, uh, some work with um, Daily Kanban as well with the drive. Uh, I also write occasionally for national Observer, which is a general uh, canadian publication sort of an online newspaper which uh amusingly enough um uh grime's mother is a star journalist <laughs> that, for so um uh, great, yeah right? it's uh it's a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating dance
0: is is her last name boucher also uh
1: no it's a uh, her name is sandy Garasino. Uh, i i imagine that's from uh a uh a subsequent marriage oh, or something gotcha. of that sort.
0: Yeah. That'll be an, an interesting pregnancy to, to watch play out.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's um, I do, I do wish, uh, I do wish uh, them the best as much as I wish anyone and everyone
0: the best ultimately. Indeed. Um, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Sure. Uh, what, could you uh, describe your personal investment philosophy, or or what you do, what you're doing, retirement wise, retirement savings wise? Do you yeah, ever totally. invest in individual equities?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so um, all right. So I previously said that I've uh, so I'm kind of your typical Bernie uh, social democrat or democratic socialist, uh, green left kind of a guy. Um, i graduated around in the late 90s around the dot-com bubble and so um i came into some money around the time that this the whole bubble was deflating so um i was i thought to myself well if the tech world is is kind of overvalued what's the absolute opposite and i was like oh i bet you gold the gold must be the absolute opposite of tech stocks and so i spent a good part of a decade noodling around various, um, uh, you know, gold type uh, websites, just on the assumption that you couldn't have a bubble and a 20 year bull market without some sort of severe, you know, multi several year um, uh, recession. I was kind of wrong on that. But uh, it was an amusing thing. And it it exposed me to a lot of libertarian thought, because uh, and and a, a healthy distrust of the Fed, which is hilarious. So you've got like, uh, in, uh, I'm a, I'm a far-left guy who hangs around with probably somewhat conservative folks in Tesla Q, who has a deep knowledge of libertarianism based on uh, hanging around in, in, in gold websites in the early <laughs> 2000s, the early, early aughts. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, colorful, I guess. Um, so uh, I, um, at the moment, uh, having ridden uh, bubbles up and down somewhat, uh, my main focus was getting uh, getting our mortgage under control I live in Vancouver kind of a hellish place to uh, try to buy property um, mm-hmm. but uh, the main focus has been on i guess you'd say value investing or under uh, sort of uh, uh, under underpriced all oh, I guess everyone tries to find underpriced stocks uh, but basically um, unlike many of my friends for example i don't uh, I don't see any uh, Moral need for for divestment. I think the markets at this point going to take care of it. And frankly, if I had a few more zeros to my net worth, I'd seriously consider, you know, renting a tanker and buying four dollar a barrel Canadian oil, oh, and then I, just sitting on it for like a couple months or a couple years. Like
0: I, I was actually uh, just today, as as I was, uh, I went for a drive. I'm a terrible person. I, I traveled this weekend a little bit. We're recording on the fourth of April. Uh, But seeing gas prices being as low as they are, I was thinking, what if there was some way to start a company where you could, you as an individual, me as an individual, could buy just gallons and gallons and gallons of gasoline right now at today's prices and lock it in and just get it delivered months and years down the road? Because I wouldn't mind, at at current prices, I would would lock in about a 10-year supply of my own fuel needs if I could um but yeah that's just an aside but
1: yeah yeah so i mean uh, if you had a farm you could probably do that right like um a lot of farms do have large fuel tanks uh, for mm-hmm. their things mind you um farms have their own challenges we I do have some farming relatives and um but uh but yeah it's like um if if uh i i can't i i, I guess i think you mentioned on on your one of your podcasts with elmer there that you had a, a position in like metallurgical coal and mm-hmm. it's like yeah, okay well fine if if there if someone has if someone some business is in dire strait like airline stocks at some point some point they'd be um they'd, they'd uh, recover it, recover again i don't know if it's the bottom now but uh there's just no way that people stop flying especially mm-hmm. with rising uh, global incomes and so forth right everyone wants to be able to visit uh, exotic far off places for many people growing up in Asia right now, the exotic far off place will be North America um, and uh, you know, power to them. It's just a matter of uh, mm. redu- avoiding uh, pollution from their mobility. Um, that actually, I guess, sort of uh, gives a segue into uh, my experience with uh, with fuel cells uh, as a complement to batteries. Um, I did have one of my pieces in the drive. I uh, had this graphic, which actually has, has been used a few other times, I've noticed, where... Um, the difference between batteries and fuel cells is kind of like the difference between exoskeletons for insects for small creatures and uh, interior skeletons uh, for vertebrates larger creatures almost all small tiny um, creatures uh, um, living things which aren't uh, single-celled microorganisms uh, have exoskeletons because they're very weight and uh, they're very efficient basically at the low size at the small at the small end whereas Almost all of your large, well, basically every one of your large um, uh, animals has a uh, has an interior skeleton. has a has a vertebrate. Uh, it's a vertebrate, and so there's a, a similar kind of an overlap between batteries and fuel cells. In that, batteries or electricity are fantastic at uh, for smaller um, for smaller uh,
0: like a, uh, cell, uh, phone. Yeah, a cell
1: phone vehicles. Yeah, cell phone, small, no. a laptop, um, cars, uh, e-bikes, especially. Um, and then at the higher end, uh, like uh, Nikola is a, is a high profile company wanting to do long distance trucking, but also for boats, trains, planes, uh, hydrogen fuel cells are likely to be the, the, the result. Uh, passenger cars are kind of a weird one because um, you can, a battery electric vehicle can provide you all the range and stuff that you need. However, mm-hmm. unlike a, like cars are a consumer good. They're not a commodity good no one ever buys their car based on total cost of ownership. They tend to buy it because you know, they like the look of it or has a particular feature they desire or they're, they're loyal to a brand. Mm-hmm. And the, the early data still doesn't show a tremendous willingness, uh, at least outside of Norway, to, to have everyone shift over into pure batteries. I think there will be a role for uh, fuel cells there. You can say they're inefficient, but every luxury vehicle in the world is cost inefficient. Uh, relative to, um, I don't know, a, a Prius C, I think uh, might have the, one of the lowest total costs of ownership.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so, um, so I have tried to avoid uh, writing too much about micro mobility, which is e-bikes and things, because I do think those would be. Uh, I do have tremendous expectation that that is the true disruption in mobility, um, and I want the ability to uh, uh, tell my investment uh, guy whatever. Uh, to basically buy shares in every public company that has uh, has a, a a direction or a, a means into the e bike slash scooter micro mobility market in the next number of years. Now that you know, after some of this uh, this uh, fizziness from uh, the the everything bubble uh, wears out,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: just to go through the uh, the mechanics of the uh, the whole disruption. Thing, the the disruptive technology, in, in, uh, disruptive innovations, tend to be cheaper, crappier versions uh, of uh, analogs to existing products. And electric vehicles are, are the opposite of that. They're more expensive. They provide all the services more or less, except for fast refueling. And um, they're they're basically they're they're continuing innovations, not disruptive innovations. And the actual disruptive innovation, which is a lot cheaper and a lot crappier. Is literally your e-bike or your scooter, or those little you know stand-up scooters or the sit-down ones, where you don't have the range. Uh, it has a lot less mass, l- much lower price point, a few thousand bucks, and um, and you get wet. It's it it or or snowed on. Uh, and yet the nature of uh, disruptive innovation is that ultimately uh, people go from the very over-designed, over-engineered solution to a much simpler. Lower, um, you know, lower adequacy uh, version, and uh, and so yeah. So I guess one of my big pictures since I since I still would like to write about hydrogen fuel cells and you know electric vehicles at various points, uh, and not compromise my uh, my contributions. I'm not investing in that, although um, uh, I, I aim to avoid micromobility because uh, I see a tremendous uh, upside for that. Um, basically being the, the true disruption of the of the auto sector
0: um, yeah on on that topic there's a company that i've i've only looked at a little bit i actually did buy some shares like probably five or six months ago and i only held them for a couple of days because it i bought it right right before it spiked up like 60 percent oh, wow. or something crazy well but it was a uh, electromechanica mechanica their oh tick, yeah, ticker symbol is so low Solo. yeah so that's right are you familiar with them as a company
1: yeah they uh, they're actually their their north american headquarters is here in vancouver they have a little okay. uh, little facility um uh, i've seen their chart uh, it's uh, i guess the one thing i would uh say in my in my uh, misadventures in investing is that you know good companies can be terrible stocks you know if the mm-hmm. stock happens to be too high or You know, or contrarily, bad companies can be terrific stocks. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I guess the example of coal or uh, uh, because basically everyone's given up coal for dead. Well, if everyone's given it up for dead, then at some point uh, it will seem merely comatose, at which Mm -hmm. point you're going to get a price bump and you can probably make a profit off that. So um, with respect to the uh, to Electromechanica, they have a single seat vehicle. Uh, which would be very, um, which could be a uh, very cost effective alternative for people with, with desires for commuter vehicles.
0: Yeah, the and uh, y- you mentioned earlier that, that the micro scooters and stuff, people would get wet. So the Electromechanica vehicle is actually enclosed. So that would get it rid is. of that, that part. So of that
1: it. That is. Now, the, the challenge is that if you want an e-bike, you're spending maybe a couple thousand bucks maybe a few thousand bucks. Whereas for this electromechanica solo, you're still in the range of like 10,000 bucks. Right. And that's the range of a small five seat Nissan micro, which is, uh, I am told kind of a terrible car, but, uh, my, uh, like I do hope that electromechanica finds niches and I expect there will be niches where it's a very useful, very, you know, an excellent vehicle. Um, my uh, my worry would be that for the general public uh if if i'm thinking i'm a you know recent college grad or something i have a very limited amount of money uh, i might be renting then um, if i'm getting a new vehicle and i'm on a really tight budget i would probably take a nissan micro where i could stuff the back seat with ramen and hot pockets uh, and then also my wife could sit in the front the other front seat Rather than get a, an electromechanical solo, which and they do have a, a two seater they're designing and want to pull out. But um, I think the price point has to be radically different, radically lower from the low end of, uh, of combustion vehicles to really get that sort of disruptive, um, ad- those, those disruptive adoption rates, uh, which, again, so... Uh, I don't pretend to, I know enough about accounting to know that someone who's really good at that accounting can trick me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do hope that, uh, is able to, uh, to find niches where, uh, where it can thrive. Uh, I don't expect those niches to be too big, but depending on whatever the stock price is at, and uh, I guess, you know, the various technical analyses, which will give a hints at whether the stocks likely to face further pressure or not. Um, it could still be a a lucrative buy if you buy it when people leave it for dead and again it it merely winds up only comatose
0: Mm -hmm. and uh just a couple quick notes uh electromechanica is a either a micro cap or maybe even a nano cap stock so there it's a tiny company so don't go don't go out and buy it Uh, (laughs) unless you've done your own due diligence elsewhere Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing about them i think with the solo Part of the big selling point is the fact that you could still get a lot of the subsidies, particularly the $7,500 federal income tax subsidy. And in California, there's additional subsidies on top of that. So I think they're targeting the Los Angeles area in particular and maybe one other metro area as places that they're targeting. So I think I think the pre-tax incentive cost of that is something like 18000 and then with with the tax incentives, it gets down to uh, an effective cost of maybe maybe seven thousand or something. That that's oh, really? a ballpark. Sure. Uh, don't don't quote me on those numbers, but as I
1: default by default think in Canadian figures, yeah. So um, yeah. right. Uh, um, I guess another another point about cars being a consumer market is so in Canada we have this Nissan Micro. Uh, it starts at like ninety nine eighty eight or so Canadian dollars, so about seven thousand U S and uh it's not even offered in the states or it wasn't last time i checked because americans don't buy small cars yeah i, I haven't heard of it so uh so yeah so uh again uh, if anyone was puzzled about uh, this this nissan this mythical nissan micro vehicle yeah you uh, you don't get in the states so so again and um you know i have uh, you know i do hope that uh, businesses are able to flourish i'm sure there are little pockets where um uh electromechanica can be very competitive uh, it's just a matter of uh, are those big enough for the company to thrive, and uh, you know is the price of the stock reflective of what uh, you'd eventually be able to generate from it?
0: Mm-hmm. And and one more one more point that I want to mention is uh, what you mentioned earlier: the product and the business and the share price are not always going to be in line with each other. They're they're definitely different things, especially when you throw in the fact that. Companies have capital structures with debt. Uh, a lot of companies have convertible bond issuances, particularly Tesla, mm-hmm. as we, as as anybody listening to this should well know. And then right. equity, and there's a hierarchy to to those aspects of the capital structure. And the main takeaway that I feel like far too much of the world these days forgets about, or doesn't think about, or doesn't know about, is that equity is risk capital. Right. The the debt. Of a the debt portion of a capital stack gets precedence over equity, and That's I right. feel like a lot of what uh, what's going on right now with the, with some aspects of the the stimulus with the coronavirus is geared far too much to trying to save the equity price which right a company doesn't stop operating because their equity price goes to zero if they have to go through chapter 11 bankruptcy that's exactly. why chapter 11 bankruptcy exists so that's that's my soapbox and i'll i'll jump off it now but product yeah. business and share price three totally separate things that you should not conflate to to each other and tesla fans i feel like do conflate those all the time because they're like I love this car. It's best car ever. Therefore, the share price should be the best share price ever. But, but no. Yeah,
1: it's kind of a it's kind of a, a Dunning Kruger uh, phenomenon. So, uh, mm-hmm. Dunning Kruger is where if you're an expert in one field, you think you're an expert in every field. And, God, that's that so applies in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, yeah. So um, I think <clears throat> I, I'd written. Um, I think this is, a. Uh, am uh, not sure if it was while I was on my semi-social media hiatus or not, but I think it'll be uh, now that the challenge that Tesla has, uh, because its stock almost hit $1,000, is that you've had you've had your parabolic peak, you've had a dead cat bounce, and you are going to go back down and one day you're going to test that gap at $250 or so, right? Mm-hmm. I know that much technical analysis. I've I, I did actually know a little bit before I start to follow uh, Jin TSEO mm-hmm. nine, um, Mr. Jin. Yeah, Mr. Jin. Yeah, the the, the fellow in Hungary there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I am familiar with that. And psychologically, I th- you you've got all these retail shareholders like yes, this is my chance to buy in. It's gone down, and I don't think that the uh, that the Tesla the long term Tesla fa- the long term Tesla fans are going to be swamped by the number of new purchasers. Who, who will see themselves down easily, you know, 50%, or mm-hmm. that's, that's peak to current price. But uh, I think there is a different dynamic you're going to get with uh, tolerating people's, um, uh, tolerating misbehavior and, and stunts. If you're making money, I've, it's certainly been true of me, I'm totally willing to throw a blind eye to someone. It's like, yeah, whatever, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's part of the quirkiness. You know, that's, that's what I love about so-and-so. But if you're down and it really doesn't look like you're ever gonna get that money back, then I think that adds another dynamic which Tesla has never had to deal with because it has floated for years between you know, an established range of like you know, 300 and something at the top and then, you know, high 100s at the bottom.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, I do think that adds a, a complicating wrinkle because uh, now suddenly you have a bunch of guys who are like, yeah, stock price, bro. Uh, even though they actually bought way higher than the current stock price, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, so uh, that is another one of these uh, trends, which you know, along with actual factual competition, which is uh, is going to pressure uh, is going to pressure Tesla. Uh, I guess one analogy I might make is that if you go back to maybe 2010 or so, I think Toyota had 65% of the market, world market for electrified vehicles, which means conventional hybrids. You know, EVs weren't a thing. Um, it would have been foolish for anyone to think that Toyota would stay at sixty-five percent of all electrified vehicles because there's other technologies coming in, other people are starting to commit to uh, t- to electrification, other methods, and so in a in a similar way, um, and I think uh, I think Montana even uh, uh, re- referenced this on Autoline I've, I've only listened to part of that podcast there, but if you can't make money when you have a virtual monopoly, if like you have this you have this gift here where You've got this long runway where no one's really paying attention. If if a smart company is able to, you know, get everything in order, I'm, I'm hopeful that Rivian, for example, and Nikola, for that matter, uh, are both able to um, get through this gap with proper engineering discipline, proper processes, uh, you know, proper quality systems. Um, uh, if they're able to do that, then that that gap they have, while there's not that much competition, will allow them to, get to a sustainable size and sustain themselves be successful
0: maybe develop a moat
1: yeah well exactly well yeah you have a brand right um mm-hmm. auto auto the auto sector is just ferociously difficult as uh, everyone's going to discover uh through this next number of months and years uh but to have a basically a 10-year lead on everyone else right the only serious competition um for tesla has come in in europe now is just getting getting rolled out and to squander it uh yeah the stock price is high but there is nothing else healthy about that right it's like mm-hmm. you know muhammad ali at i don't know 50 or 60 still had that number of championships but not the same person mm-hmm. uh i think it'd also be an insult to uh, to compare muhammad ali to someone as as um uh as uh ungracious as uh, as elon musk mm-hmm. but it's, it's just um you had this, it's like, dude, you had, and, and to the fans, you know, this company has had such an opportunity, golden, so many, so many layups, right? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was, it was literally like the, uh, you know, the the Harlem Globetrotters playing against the, the, uh, the Washington generals. I think they're called the white, the short white guys. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't put it away. Yeah. And um, so um, uh, again, I I, uh, I can't foresee the, the, uh, I can't foresee the narrative continuing. Again, now you have all these people who are way, way down on their investments. Um, I, I do not have any idea how deep uh, the accounting tricks can get, but in terms of, you know, will a, a healthy company emerge out of this 10 years from now? Well, I can expect so, but more likely under some sort of a, um, what, a toes to hair, head to toe uh, you know, re restructuring of the company into something which has actual, um, um, I don't know, Darwinianly selected proper automotive uh, traits about it. Mm
0: -hmm. Some actual sustainability to the company as opposed to just the, the veil of it.
1: Right. It's like, um, it's right now it has more bark than bite. Ultimately. There's a lot of bark uh, around Mm -hmm. Tesla and it has done a good job of, of, um, of putting uh, electric vehicles into the mainstream, but th- that's not the end game, right? It's a, uh, and uh, it is, it is not at all well positioned for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, back to, th- to your analogy of the exoskeleton versus skeletal systems and different sizes of organisms compared to different technologies being applicable to different uh, transportation systems. I'm going to disclose that I am, in fact, a shareholder of VTIQ, which is going to become NKLA as Nikola is going public. Uh, and I bought I, I bought my first shares of that within two or three minutes of seeing that that was going to occur because I've been following Nikola for, for quite some time. And I, I personally find their CEO to be uh, credible and have much more uh, sound attitudes about things than than Elon Musk, and in, in my opinion, uh, mm. there is the aspect of him. He bought a, a really nice house and ranch, which causes a degree of skepticism. and And I do plan to hold a degree of skepticism towards Nikola, as they are pre revenue still. So, uh, but I should say that I am long Nikola. I think they have a a, a chance to really do some good things with their fuel cell vehicles. Uh, so with your background, Matthew, with fuel cells, what, what are your, your opinions about Nicola and their plan for class eight trucks?
1: Sure, yeah, so class eight trucks are um, the, uh, the, the semi trucks, tractor trailers. Um, it is a, the long haul trucking in particular is something which is just the, the, the physics make it infeasible for batteries. It's not just the the physics of the weight of the battery cripples your payload, but it's a, it's a matter of are you going to have um, are you going to bring in uh, gobs of power to these remote uh, rural locations in between in between truck stops basically, and so there is basically the physics you know like that uh, endoskeleton interior skeleton versus exoskeleton definitely favor fuel cells uh, for that. Um, I do think that uh, Nikola has at least shown the, the the right approach in that it's partnered with uh, Ryder, a large uh, uh, trucking firm, trucking um, logistics, things of that sort. Its fuel cell stacks, um, they, they don't want to, they want to call them just um, Nikola stacks, although I suspect, I think the expectation is that right now they're using a Bosch uh, stack, which comes from PowerCell, ultimately, a little uh, fuel cell company out of Sweden, which was a spin-out of Volvo's fuel cell gr- fuel cell work. But um, I expect that they'd be working on their own internally developed stack. Uh, I have some former colleagues who have wound up at uh, at Nikola over there in uh, Arizona, I suppose it is. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the, the advantage is that they have partnered with legit companies and have given themselves the best shot to um, make... You know basically learn the disciplines um to uh to evolve like it, i guess if you if you make an, an animal analogy it's like you need to have uh complex animals have various organs which specialize mm-hmm. in food processing and stuff like that kidneys yeah kidneys uh you got your lungs you got your heart all these other other uh, other things and so i think they've they've got a constellation of uh, partners who uh should be able to show them how to do things properly uh, if they choose to, um, it does look like they are doing a lot of testing. They do have a few uh, fuel cell uh, trucks that are uh, going between uh, between routes, collecting miles, collecting experience, which is very important uh, because uh, class eight trucks, trucking is a is very much a TCO driven, total cost of ownership driven business. It's a commodity mm-hmm. business. It's not a consumer business in large part. Um, it, it, it was interesting to me that they uh, announced plans to launch a pickup truck as well um, that gives me that makes me worry a little bit uh, uh, at the amount of focus that you have mm-hmm. because that's 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 kind of bolt that's like it's not as easy a, a product line extension right it's, it's kind of somewhat different mm-hmm. um, the uh, the plan to make battery um, electric uh, class A trucks for, you know, within uh, within city uh, deliveries, that makes a lot a lot more sense because it's basically the same product. You're just mm-hmm. taking out, you're scooping out a bunch of batteries and putting in a fuel cell with uh, with some hydrogen tanks. Uh, that is uh, something they they announced a the factory at Ulm, which I think that uh, I actually visited Ulm uh, as part of in in earlier in my career. Probably not the same exact uh, you know business park, but uh,
0: what uh, what country is that?
1: Uh, Ulm is in Germany.
0: Ulm, Germany. Okay.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, Daimler has uh, uh, Daimler Benz has some uh, uh, factories over there. It's kind of one of their one of their nodes. So um, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm hopeful for them, but uh, uh, I think the real things that I'm looking for are the evidence of the rigorous testing and the uh, um, basically yeah the, the accumulation of miles and the tails testing with respect to what are uh, how are you going to make sure that you've designed something which will actually function for clients? Whereas, again, to use a Tesla example, everything is made and tested and designed for California, which is mm-hmm. irresponsible. And so um, so yeah, uh, Rivian as well has uh, has had some postings about uh, doing winter winter testing for its trucks. So uh, I am hopeful that the disciplines uh, that are required do get transferred into Nicola. They seem to be saying the right thing so uh, uh, one hopes that uh, that's that
0: continues and I'll, I'll just add that there were some pictures over the last three to four weeks of uh, the Tesla semi apparently got trucked up to Alaska for some cold weather testing not right. sure if it was uh, a single truck that got rewrapped while it was up there or if it was two separate trucks um, I'm still not fully convinced that they've built a a third and fourth prototype Tesla semi uh, just because I've seen pictures of the exact same two uh, over and over and over again the matte black one and the silver one and they wrapped one of the two of those in a, a red vinyl wrap at yes some I, point.
1: I remember that I remember that yeah um, it was, uh...
0: but uh, the point you made about the fact that Nikola has a lot of partnerships with a lot of very legit companies like They've already demonstrated that they delivered some beer uh, with Anheuser-Busch, mm. uh, but but the fact that they actually have all these partnerships with legit companies is a bit of a stark contrast with Tesla and their propensity to to say that vertical integration is the end-all be-all of of everything, uh, which SpaceX also does a lot of that. Seems like.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think. Um... It might, maybe it was Phoenix Ten in one of the early, earlier, uh, your earlier episodes. Was like uh, Musk has a has some sort of an inability to uh, accept that other people, you know, can overrule him. Right. That's mm-hmm. probably why he was uh, so angry at. Uh, oh, actually, yeah. So, uh, so when Toyota ordered the design, the, the shield. Um, so the first fire in a in a Tesla vehicle was in um, in October, early October, 2013. Um, I can imagine that, you know, within a couple of days or weeks, someone, some, you know, unlucky Tesla engineer had to give the the answer that, yeah, it looks like Toyota was right. You know, uh, (laughs) we do need this battery shield. And so then what happens on October 22nd, 2013, Musk comes out and says, fuel cells are bullshit, right? It's this total passive aggressive, like, I can't bear the thought that Toyota
0: was right.
1: Yeah, well, he said, yeah, he said that, yeah, fuel, fuel cell, I, I've heard that taunt for decades, but, uh, <laughs> it was like, fuel cells are bullshit, and it, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, he was dissing Bill Gates on Twitter, re- mm. on a Monday, I forget what, what week it was, but the very previous Friday, it was like, yeah, Bill Gates is rumored to be the buyer of this fuel cell super yacht, or, <laughs> um, in, oh, yeah, I remember uh, seeing that. that he, was about
0: two months ago, and, or so, and,
1: yeah, yeah, and, um, he, he said, you know, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't know much about AI, which was a comment made a few days after Mark Zuckerberg uh, kind of was critical of SpaceX for the reason that SpaceX blew up a satellite that Facebook was counting on mm-hmm. for, you know, remote Internet access, right? So it's, I, I, I just see that Musk is this terrifically insecure person who knows he's a fraud, at least. Uh, well, yeah. Who he knows? He's a fraud on on multiple levels, and has to somehow stamp out or or rage against uh, any evidence uh, that you know to this reality. Um, also, with his his compulsive inserting himself himself into um, into crisis or mm-hmm. into humanitarian efforts, um, it's like it's like he has a Tinkerbell complex. You know, if if people don't believe in me as the as the you know, ter- you know as the wonderful hero part of me dies or part of his ego most most certainly so um knowing how he has uh attempted to get publicity in such a such an unethical way for doing very little if anything he got himself a, a little uh, thank you from the thai government despite not actually participating in that re- in that rescue um I can only imagine um, how much it would have angered him uh, in the New York Times article, I think about 10 years ago, where he was complaining about not being accepted or not being listed as one of Tesla's founders, right? And I can only imagine that uh, I think the first Iron Man movie came out in 2008. And it uh, it was very clear that Tony Stark was based off of Larry Ellison. But by the time Iron Man 2 came out, he was based on Elon Musk. And I can only imagine the amount of lobbying or pressure or haranguing or nagging that he would have orchestrated to get himself made as you know. You should consider me as a template because <laughs> I'm a much. I'm a much you know more uh, Tony Stark guy than uh, than um, uh, Larry Ellison. And so um, yeah, it's just this. It's this this Tinker thing where uh, he he seems to you know part of him dies if he's not regarded as this heroic cult figure Mm -hmm. and uh, it's just a very brittle it's it's a very brittle thing it's like uh, like ceramics they're hard on the outside but once you crack them they just completely break Mm -hmm. whereas uh, metals are more ductile they um, you can bend and stretch them somewhat uh, without catastrophic failure uh, unless you do things which are completely reckless and irresponsible as SpaceX has repeatedly <laughs> demonstrated again uh,
0: Just just this week again. I think they SN4 I think broke again.
1: That's right. Um, so uh, Again, I have no uh, I have no um, no horse in the race between SpaceX or I think Boeing's uh, United Launch Alliance and Blue Origin um, Jeff Bezos uh, company, but um, I Can't see SpaceX uh, being sustainable when you have proper disciplines and uh, uh, proper processes at U- ULA and especially at Blue Origin, which has had repeated success um, putting up reusable flights for its rockets. Uh, admittedly, not nearly as far into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. but if you can do it, it's it's so much easier to go from you know going 100 miles in the atmosphere reusable than extending that somewhat um then to try and basically shoot the moon essentially um all at once with no actual uh theory and modeling done beforehand to confirm that you can actually do mm-hmm. it
0: and just as a to throw a little financial opinion based on some some facts here blue origins finances are much more sustainable than spacex uh Jeff Bezos has his plan to sell, I think it's either a billion or $2 billion of, of Amazon stock every year to fund Blue Origin. So that he's got plenty of money. Amazon's share price has held up far better than most companies in this virus situation. And I, I would anticipate that that continues. Uh, whereas SpaceX has to continually go issue new equity for, for capital raises. So it's a big, big dichotomy there between those two companies. Right.
1: Well, yeah. And and uh, you can tell that uh, uh, I think in in a few tweets, uh, Musk has uh, commented at how much that uh, frustrates him, or at least it it soaks through, it seeps through his uh, his words. Uh, Again, you know, I being on the left, I think that Jeff Bezos is a terrible human being, you know, he forcing he's forcing a Blue Origin uh, staff in Washington to go down to Texas for some uh, uh, some additional uh, testing to be done. But I have the utmost respect for the fact that he runs an efficient organization, right? Mm-hmm. I have to take him seriously because he is generally going to get done what he promises to get done. And uh, Musk is a lot like Trump in that he's got a lot of bluster, but he doesn't carry through. It's, um, it's again, if, uh, if Jeff Bezos was, so Bezos actually through Amazon has a stake in Rivian, mm-hmm. the uh, electric truck company. hundred thousand so order, I- too. Yeah, yeah. The, he, well, he put a commitment in. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm. S- I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that one, but it does buy them a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, publicity mm-hmm. to aim away from treatment of humans. But um, but still, I can be pretty. Sh- I have a good degree of confidence that Jeff Bezos and his proxies will make sure that uh, Rivian is up to snuff. And if it isn't, they'll yank out the CEO or other other uh, senior executives and put in place competent people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the challenge is that you know if uh, if Elon Musk has to be the smartest person in a bunch, uh, you know everyone else smart leaves, and you become you know the the tallest person. It's like I'm I'm by no means an NBA player, but if I'm playing a team of Tyrion Lannisters, yeah, (laughs) they look smart. And uh, and if you if you're unable to acknowledge and uh, defer to the authority of others, then you get you get like this North Korean kind of situation where it's just the worst, worst of worlds mm-hmm. for a while. You know, stock price, bro. Yeah, Tesla looks uh, looks uh, impressive, but uh, under the surface, it's it's uh, it's a hell of a mess from from every every angle I can see. And uh, uh, yeah, I have the absolute compassion and sympathy for the people who are struggling under uh, under that system. Uh, because it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be that
0: way for them. And uh, on the on the topic of Bezos and Musk, I'll just throw out real quickly that Bezos, with his annual planned sales of Amazon shares, has to pay capital gains tax on those those sales to the federal government. So he's paying taxes to the U.S. government, whereas Elon Musk, who funds his lifestyle by taking out margin loans against his holdings in tesla particularly but also spacex presumably does not have to Mm -hmm. pay taxes or does not pay taxes into the the u.s coffers so that's a, a big difference between the two of them as well so
1: that's right yeah i mean i would also argue that i'm pretty sure that amazon's strategy of uh of not being profitable also helps them because you can't buy you know can't get profits off of a you can't pay taxes on profits if you don't show mm-hmm. any. Actually, one one cute thing, and this actually plays to uh, some of the more conservative uh, skepticism about, about renewable energy incentives. Uh, the U.S. has a uh, production tax credit and investment tax credit for uh, companies who put up wind farms. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what that allows you to do is write off, uh, basic, is basically take, uh, in the wind case, you can get a tax credit for like a couple cents per kilowatt hour, whatever it is, um, for all the electricity generated by a wind farm for a period of ten years. It's a phenomenally wonderful way of reducing your tax burden if you are a phenomenally, uh, if a phenomenally profitable company. Mm-hmm. So, e- even now, I happen to th- think it's an acceptable trade-off to get the more wind and more solar out there, since the U.S. grid is is uh, has a lot of fossil fuels in it. But i recognize that the side effect of this is that you know the wind industry is literally one of the reasons that jp morgan has not paid taxes for years (laughs) Uh, because uh, when a wind project um, uh, developer uh, wants to uh, get their project developed it it usually has to go through jp morgan because they're about the only ones who can figure out this obscure and fanatically uh, uh, complicated legislation jp morgan as its cut takes the credit and then the wind farm developer gets to, to keep whatever the uh, the uh, the value is of the wind farm and you know the the electric revenues. Uh, in a similar way, um, solar uh, generally it's been solar, but also wind. You know, help Amazon, Google, Microsoft, um, all these other titans uh, look good, look good and green, while it uh, it helps reduce it helps keep their keeps their taxes negligible. So uh, so again, you know, I recognize the. Complicated uh, mess uh, of a of a situation that incentives and what uh, uh, subsidies can create, but um, you know it's it's always case by case. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, I might have said, you know, okay, it doesn't look. I guess maybe in 2014, early 2015, I'd be like, yeah, it looks kind of dodgy what Tesla's doing here, but. It is kind of uh, helping the electric vehicle market along. It's only a few cases here where there are these abuses. And, you know, just uh, the the weight of the evidence just uh, you know, moved me, f- you know, far from even that level of hesitant generosity. Uh, so, yeah.
0: All right. Well, we're uh, we're closing in on an hour and a half almost. So oh, we'll yeah. have uh, cool. one one final topic, I guess, to to cover, and that's really, uh, sure. that's your article that you wrote. I believe it was August, July, or August of 2019 about Tesla mm-hmm. entering whistleblower hell. So uh, sure, a yeah. guy that I've interviewed twice on the podcast, Carl Hansen, was one of yes, the main right. people that you you talked about in that article. So just tell us tell us about how you came about writing that article and and the process you went through and and summarize the article I guess as
1: sure so that article has a had a a very interesting story because it started off um, it was actually originally intended to be for the National Observer again general purpose Canadian publication because there were these uh, there were these cases of um, paint defects in in uh, early model threes why because tesla skimped out on doing proper painting and chose to basically you know the they they put their customer last as they so often do and so um there was something like four percent of all early tesla model three owners within you know nine months of a release of product into canada had these paint uh, problems and so i initially pitched the story and the stuff about um about the dodgy things going on in Nevada was intended to be uh, kind of a second paragraph or second portion of that 800-word article. And um, there were some editorial turnover, um, uh, just, you know, people getting switched around at National Observer, and so it kind of uh, fell by the wayside, so I thought, okay, well, maybe it's uh, suitable for the drive. And then um, I was fortunate enough to be able to get in touch with Carl, as a result of which, it was like, well, this is kind of the bigger story, and um, the thing that was that was fortunate was that I was I was trying to piece things together, but there was no um, so there was there was no real written there there wasn't that much uh, of a of a written record that I could draw on. Uh, however, uh, around that time, the legal filing came out mm-hmm. the, uh, the the whistleblower the uh, Sarbanes
0: Oxley uh, suit. suit.
1: That's right. Yeah. So uh, I think I I think I obtained a copy of that through sight ultimately because it went promptly up on there, and so that was a really a good catalyst because suddenly I had material I could work with, without having to, uh, without having to stick the handle through Tesla's non-responsive PR. Mm-hmm. And so um, what what I was able to do then is with a little bit of the background work and trying to check with Carl and trying to make sure that. Again, as a complete amateur, I'm still being as accurate as possible. Um, I was able to pull from the uh, from the PDF from the filing, and then uh, uh, put the article together. I did have a, a fascinating adventure with uh, one of uh, Tesla's PR people over the phone, with which I uh, compared notes with uh, someone from Reveal uh, Reveal News, um, and uh, and eventually that that did it, go forward, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a. It was like the Hobbit. It was like a long and unexpected journey because, again, it was supposed to start off with, uh, with the the uh, you know the Quebec paint problems, and then in, it resulted in a completely different publication with a completely different focus. But it, I think, is a, is a even more urgent piece of information that needed to be made public because you know skimping on your customers it it does happen in the real world, mm-hmm. but uh, persecution of whistleblowers is just absolutely abhorrent it's it's vile it's wrong it's evil and so um so yeah i was uh, i guess i felt uh, i had the the privilege of trying to uh convey uh the carl's experience uh in a manner which hopefully um my amateurishness did not get in the way of
0: and uh just, just a few of the other whistleblowers in the, the tesla story and, and some quick updates. I saw that uh, there was a, a filing for summary judgment in the Martin Tripp case earlier this week. Uh, I, I think the the really, really condensed version is that I believe Martin's lawyers were requesting that only the, uh, the salary that Martin got from the period of late May 2018 through when it, whenever he was fired in June of 2018 was the only... Only money that that Tesla should be able to pursue because part of their claims were based on the the share price movement in like a thirty minute period from the time the articles written right, were published right, right. and when the market closed on those days. And apparent and right. and according to the filing, there was not a whole lot of basis behind that. Um, Christina right. Ballon, who's also been on the podcast here. Uh, she had uh, some kind of filing earlier this week where it it sounds like Tesla's lawyers changed something up and we're going to have to her filings we're going to have to get changed somewhat Uh, and also she's she apparently has had some COVID-19 symptoms so she she may have gone been going through this virus over these last few weeks so my my uh, skeptical fear is that that Tesla may have have seen her tweets about that and decided very just evilly to try to make her legal burden more in this time when she's fighting this virus, which is just egregiously evil for for no better Mm -hmm. way to say it. Um, Carl uh, recently got some new representation as of uh, a month or two ago in his Sarbanes-Oxley suit and uh pack watson the the nurse Hmm. was Hmm. on tesla's tesla charts chartcast uh just just a week or so ago so Mm -hmm. number of number of whistleblowers in the land of tesla so
1: yeah it's um i think and if it it wasn't elon musk it would be someone else uh within silicon valley but it's it's really um i get the impression that it's it's like an like a north american Mohammed bin salman you know (laughs) Someone of with extraordinary power who uh has no compunction against using it against anyone who uh, who opposes them, uh on you know, relying or banking on no one else being able to uh to um uh to coalesce together to uh confront and to uh to defang him mm-hmm. really. Um so yeah, it's uh it's um I guess this is why I think billionaires should never exist. But again, that's a topic for probably a different podcast. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I think
0: a lot of people would agree with that. Though, uh, there. there's a, a special kind of, uh, of, I guess, narcissism for lack of a better word that is necessary mm-hmm. to maybe necessary to create some of these companies that end up growing to such a size. But to to feel like you deserve to own that much equity in these companies, maybe. I, I don't know. it It's, just, I, I'm. I lean towards the the capitalist side of things a lot more, but I can definitely see. See, I, I can see both sides of things. I I like to mm-hmm. think that I'm pretty close to the middle. But,
1: right. yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess as a as a democ I guess I'm probably characterized as a democratic socialist. I'm totally fine with uh, people getting fantastically rich. Uh, I just like to tax them. Heavily so that uh, you don't get these uh, uh, a, a plut- plutocracy or you know, extended aristocracy ongoing for generations. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's a, again topic for a different podcast, <laughs> but it's it's just I mean, demonstrative how um, the uh, the actions um, that Tesla through Elon or Elon Musk through Tesla has taken actually unite people with nothing in mm-hmm. common and everything in opposition uh, about the offensiveness of um, of the of the actions mm-hmm.
0: think? I think the key is just seeing through the looking glass that first time and from that point forward mm-hmm. almost every action that Elon Musk takes you you see that there's some ulterior motives behind his actions so mm-hmm. I think we've talked for quite a long time, so before we wrap up, are there any any last topics you want to hit on and and cover?
1: Um, not uh, too much. No, I'm good. Uh, I, uh, I'll probably be uh, I'll probably be paged by my family to rejoin them in uh, in uh, physical distancing soon. But uh, or I anyway, guess that's, that's the opposite of it, isn't it? I'm off in the room mm-hmm. alone. Anyway.
0: All right. Well- <laughs> Appreciate you joining us. And this has been episode number 63 of the Tesla Q podcast. If you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast. And if you want some merchandise, go to evacuationboy.com and get a nice coffee mug. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.
1: Bye.